0: Be blessed. And then to our call to worship this morning, Psalm 24. Just those final verses again. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord is strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And then further, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 45. which is Mary's response to the angel when he had given her the good news, the hard news. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble, of st- the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the estate of the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let's pray together. God, as we consider your covenant promises with this mind to rescue and to bless your people from the very beginning all the way through the very end, the one whom for hundreds and hundreds of years people looked and hoped and waited, and then the one whom Mary could celebrate because knowing that now was the time And Lord, the one whom we in our privileged position in your kingdom and in your timeline get to look back and say, we know. We have heard his words. We are part of his kingdom. And we know that what he has started, he will carry to completion and he will come again. And so Lord, here and now this morning, make our hearts soft to you. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see so that what we are responding to might be you yourself. And so, Lord, speak to us through your words here and now. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Uh, As I mentioned before, our text is going to be Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, but we're going to wait for a minute before we get there. This might be a little bit more of a familiar text to some of us. Uh, It often gets read at Christmas times. It's the... Um, And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. It's that text. Um, But before we get to it, uh, as I've read that over the years, because it's such a clear and beautiful just direct arrow towards who Jesus is, that um, sometimes we only read it in light of how it can be understood on this side of the cross. And before we get there, I want to consider a little bit um, how the original audience would have understood this and the moment that Isaiah himself was delivering it and relaying it from God to the people. Because I think the, the more that we understand it in that moment, then the more that we here and now on this side of the globe in this day and age can know um, what Jesus did to fulfill it and then what that means for us. As we think through and we've just gotten through our um, Easter service, services and we're looking ahead towards a continuing tide series, it's really wonderful to be able to know what exactly Jesus is doing because he's not operating in a vacuum. And in fact, for those who did have ears to hear and those whose hearts the Spirit did enliven to respond to him, and even for the uh, apostles on the other side of his resurrection when they had been filled with the Holy Spirit and their, their minds kind of clicked and were free to say, oh, that's what was going on. It was, it was like finally getting... The punchline to the joke. Not that it was a joke, but you just see all the pieces kind of falling together. Um, a movie that I am by no means endorsing, um, but that I found in many ways, not always, uh, to be absolutely hilarious was uh, the movie Hot Fuzz. Yeah, okay, somebody gets me. All right. Um, the movie could be best described as about a, an hour setup. With a good 30 minute punchline where all the things, all these hidden and woven connections and dots just get boom, 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 hit and carried through to the end of it. And again, not that I'm saying it's a comedy, but I am saying the storytelling of God our Father from the very beginning to the very end is masterful. And the more that we recognize the dots that were set up along the way, the more that we, like the disciples, can look at what Jesus has done post-resurrection and go, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, and we can celebrate all the things that are tied through and connected all along the way. So with that said, let's uh, move our minds, if we can, back to the 8th century in the Middle East, back to the nation of Judah, which was different from all of Israel. If you recall, there had been um, earlier on in their history, a huge civil war, and they had been separated. They'd had years of success and years of decline. But overall, it has been a very sad story for the people of God. Even as they have had massive influence, for those who were paying attention and for those who understood the law and the relationship that they had with God, with Yahweh, it was also a whole history of heartbrokenness as the things which they were made for they continued to either fail at or even sometimes directly turn away from and so the darkness started to creep in more and more and more because if you recall the people of Israel were made to be the people of God and this does not mean that they were like the special favorite holy ones who get all the extra blessings um, they did have a privileged place in proximity to God, but rather their role was to be the conduit of God's blessing, as we read from Genesis 12. God's calling of the people of Israel, the line of Abraham, was to say, my heart is for the whole world, but I'm going to work and act through you. And so as I pour into you, your job is to respond to my love with love back to me so that you might then pour that same love into the whole world around you so that as you might recall when they were enslaved in Egypt this was not just a threat to the people of Israel like an ethnic group that God favored this was a threat to God's blessing to the whole world If the hose has a kink in it, then the water doesn't get through. Or if the straw is broken, then the milkshake kind of pours out, and you don't get the suction. You get the idea. It's it's a conduit. And the people of God are to be this conduit. So as they look around at the world, they're positioned to know the goodness of God and to experience the brokenness and the hardship of life in the world around them. And then to stand in that in-between and say, Come home, come home. You were made for more. Look at who God is. Look at the law that he has given us. Consider the promises he has issued. It will not always be this way. You were made for so much more. And in me, you can have so much more. And this was to be the allure of the people of God, the invitation of Israel, the function of the whole Hebrew people. But instead, they are fractured. They have failing influence globally and politically. Their own independence is starting to crumble. And their allegiances, their allies, the neighbors around them are either being conquered or that brotherhood and that kinship and those promises are starting to crumble and get weaker and weaker and weaker. their opportunity to really be the people of God, the conduit of his rescue and blessing, is not only lost, but then they're starting to actively, not starting, have been actively rejecting it for massive amounts of time, even kicking out Yahweh as their holy God and and bringing in other gods to worship, even into the temple itself. And so as they start to see the different things that are going on, even in their day and age, the rise of the nation of Assyria under this incredibly militaristic and powerful leader, um, and I can't say all these names very well, but Tiglath-Pileser, something like that, the third, as he is conquering the whole world around them, and in this moment, he comes and he's basically standing at the gates. Israel is craving some sense of control and some sense of security. And they're looking around at the realities around them and they ain't got it. And so what do they do in this moment? Well, Isaiah 8 sets this up for us. So if you'll look with me there in the last several verses of the chapter, verses 19 through 22... This is what we're given. People of God are considering where to turn. And this is Isaiah's response and Yahweh's response. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? And this is because that's what they were doing. They're going to every last resort. This guy's coming, and he's going to crush us. And so what can we do? Where can we have strength? Where can we get some sort of insight? And they're turning to every possible thing except the God who led them out of Egypt, the God who has pledged to walk with them. Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Verse 20, to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." And this is the context that our text is coming into. Behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And how is this for a prophecy? And they will be thrust into thick darkness. They're watching the door to glory close. The flame of holiness left to smolder. And the darkness was only growing deeper and deeper and deeper. An analogy that came to mind as I was thinking about this is um, growing up in the area as a kid, whenever we'd go on trips that would take us around Baltimore, we'd take the uh, 895 tunnel. You know which one I mean? And if you were like me, or probably everyone who grew up in that age, what do you do when you reach a tunnel as a kid? Well, you hold your breath, yeah. (gasps) And then you wait, and you watch the orange lights go by and you wait until it makes the turn, and then you start to kind of pant, but you can't let yourself actually breathe. And then you look ahead, and you see that little dot of light at the end of the tunnel, and you think, I can make it. And you hold on, and you hold on, and you hold on. And I I wanna flip that a little bit because I want you to imagine the people of Israel in the tunnel, and they see the dot of light, and instead of getting closer and growing brighter, I want you to imagine holding your breath and watching it shrink and close and fade. That's the moment that the people are in. And I think if we're honest and if we consider our own lives, that's often the moment that we can feel as well. And I don't mean to just dramatize our own days, but this is life. I had a, a friend reach out to me after one of the more recent shootings and say, see, where is god in this if there were a god would he not be stopping such things when we look at the world and we look at the pain we can say shouldn't there be a light that we're going towards and it just seems to be so dark and our temptation here for the people of um, judah back in the day and for us ourselves as well and i think for everyone in between is to start to disbelieve the light at the end and to start to listen to the much closer, what can be the much louder voices of the darkness closing in and closing in and closing in. And that's where Isaiah nine comes in. So people of God Hear this is the voice of Yahweh speaking into the dark tunnel. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, people who should have done better but didn't. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land of, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them light has shone you have multiplied the nations you have inc- the nation you have increased its joy they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest a thing you believe is coming but is just not there while you're sowing the seeds and they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian a recent battle when every boot of the trampling warrior in tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and of the increase of his government and of, the, and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. This is the hope that the prophet Isaiah, that God himself offers to the people when they saw the light shrinking. And this is the hope that God our Father offers to us when we are tempted to believe the darkness. He doesn't give us just vague platitudes of, well, it'll all work out. He doesn't stand back from afar and just say, well, hang in there. This will all just be for the good. Instead, he came as the person of Jesus Christ. And he stepped boldly into the darkness with us. And instead of us being swallowed by it, he himself was swallowed by it on our behalf so that instead of only going further and further and further into the dark, we might be brought into the light and into the goodness of all of what he has. And so when we are tempted to believe only the darkness, God's provision for us is one whose light is even stronger. And so our call for the people then and for you and I now, even on this side of the cross, is to hope in Jesus Christ, is to believe the light even more than we believe the darkness, which, brothers and sisters, is not in you to do and is not in me to do, but rather this is who Jesus was, the one who said, yeah, it actually is that dark, but don't worry, I will take it, and here instead is light and life. And so what is it that actually gives us this hope? How can we actually trust it and believe it's not just some pipe dream that one day, well, mankind will refine and we'll just get better. Or maybe one day if we get just the the right kind of government, then it'll all be accomplished. Or, or, you know, the universe is just really working hard and it's working things out and, and it'll all come out for the best probably. But to have a real hope and a real person and a real story and the real word of God, Yahweh himself is because of the person of Jesus Christ. And what gives us this hope? Well, look with me at verses one through three. First, he is the one who breaks into darkness. And this is important because, as always... It's tempting to believe, especially within Christianity and with the, this faith that gives us so much hope that we should just have that hope right now and that everything should be good and done. And well, if God is really there, then there should be no problems and darkness should be just kind of a backfaded memory and not our current experience and certainly not the current things that we see within our own hearts. And so if we're the church, what do we do? Well, we dust ourselves off and we stand up a little bit straighter and we just, oh, to, you know, too blessed to be stressed and <laughs> Ridiculous things like that. Rather, we are told the people who have walked in darkness because the darkness is real. If you do not have a real darkness, then the real light doesn't really mean that much to you. See, Israel then was facing dire consequences for its behavior. But even then, they were not rejected. Even then, if you read further in the book of Isaiah, God promises beautifully and powerfully to preserve a remnant, to hold close to those who are his own, and to never abandon them, but actually to accomplish something even fuller through them in the midst of their pain. Their story might be dark for them, but their children their grandchildren, perhaps even their great, 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 great grandchildren's story won't be. And this can be hard for us to imagine because we live in a a time and in an age where we're promised that if you just work hard enough that it'll all come together. But the story of God makes no such promises. The story of God says it's going to be dark. But don't worry, I will make it better. And so we can't necessarily just look at our own, you know, this is a moment to consider the experience of the immigrant. This is a moment to consider the experience of the refugee who comes and says, I'll leave all my credentials and my businesses and everything else behind and let me get into a place where I can be established so that my kids might have a better future than I. But it's different in that because we follow this God, our Savior, we can know that even as we have hope for the future, even now in the midst of the darkness, we ourselves can stand in this hope as well. When Christ has fulfilled this, he's not just lighting the present moment, but he's, he is the light at the end of the tunnel that backlights even Isaiah's existence, that confronts and dismantles even Tiglath-Pileser's dominance and control and abuse and gives the prophet Isaiah and the people at his time hope that they may say, perhaps my children will have it better, but even now I can have a Savior who gives me a confidence that all is not lost, that suffering is not in vain, and that goodness will ultimately win. In Jesus Christ, his coming strikes the death blow against all darkness, so that even now, our joy can run deeper than life's circumstances. In 2018, you may recall there was a huge wave of direct and explicit persecution that broke out in the church throughout China uh, against churches and believers and Christians. There is the pastor of a church called Early Rain in the region of Chengdu, his name was Wang Yi, and he was arrested, their service was broken up, and he was hauled off to jail. He had a sense that this was coming, and so months before, he had drafted a letter that would then be sent out to his congregation if he was arrested or disappeared for more than 48 hours. And beautifully, that letter then got distributed further and further and further. An excerpt of it kind of reflects the same hope that we have that is beyond just our circumstances, but that roots us and ground us in that hope, that light of Jesus Christ, even if We're in the midst of the dark tunnel. He says, and again, this is an excerpt. I'd encourage you to look it up and read the whole thing. But he says, those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief towards those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me that he would grant me patience and wisdom, that I might take the gospel to them. Separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life, and no one can raise me from the dead. But Jesus Christ can and does. And this is why we can trust that light at the end of the tunnel, because he breaks into the darkness and he is not turned away from it or surprised by it, but he is very clearly aware of it. And so it's not a reason that we look at it and we say, well, where is God in this? It's the reason that we look at it and we say, thank God that he is entering into this and thank God that I am promised a savior and a deliverer beyond myself. Because that kind of goodness and that kind of light is not in me. It is only in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so a pastor who is arrested and separated from his family, trusting that light, arrested and imprisoned, can trust it so much that he can then continue to pray to be a conduit of it. That he might bring even his captors back home with him to his heavenly father when the time comes. Our call in this, because he breaks into the darkness, is that we must then also cultivate a joy that runs deeper than life's circumstances and perhaps then even learn the discipline, the spiritual discipline of sacrificing our life's circumstances in pursuit of the others. It means that we can and even that we're able and called to keep the light as our dominant story. Don't buy into the news, don't listen to your political party, don't, don't listen to all the other voices that would tell you doom and darkness and I am your savior. Because you have a savior, we have a savior, Jesus Christ, and nothing can compare to him, nothing at all, nothing at all. And so then we are called to listen to this voice, this light that shines into the darkness, and to lay down our privilege and to step into it as well and even, not just endure the darkness, but turn and look it full in the face and stride boldly into it in the power and the light of Jesus Christ so that we might be his emissaries, his people, known by his same kind of love. And pressing on, Look at verses four through five. In this we see, why can we trust? Why can we hope in this one that God provides? Well, because he undoes the tools of abuse. If you look at this, he doesn't shy away. He, He calls to mind recent battles and experiences. Failed battles and experiences. And he says, for the yoke of his burden because people had been yoked and enslaved. And the staff for his shoulder, because people literally have been beaten and hit. And the rod of the oppressor, because they're very familiar with what they believe is coming towards them. You have broken on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood Again these are not abstract thoughts but they will be burned as fuel for the fire as where we're told elsewhere that swords can be melted down into ploughs and that the weapons of war can be made no more this is what our savior does he undoes these tools of oppression and brokenness Jesus Christ by offering eternity, and not just a, like, disembodied, soulful, weirdly, you know, Western philosophical understanding of hope and glory, but, like, that doesn't have anything to do with this life in this world, but, like, he offers us eternal life, which is life to the fullness, like, a cup poured into, and then you just keep pouring, and it's overflowing because it just can't contain all of it, and perhaps that extends into eternity. I don't know what the philosophical implications of all those things are, but I do know That in Christ Jesus, when he has taken the darkness for us, the light that is promised is all of light. It is all of the goodness of God. It is the fullness of God, as Paul talks about in Philippians, the um, immeasurable goodness of God, the unsearchable depths of his understandings and his character. And that's what we have given to us in Christ. Another way to understand this is, as he undoes these tools of abuse, I want you to think this through. Everything from taking off the handcuffs of the oppressive invading force but also to breaking apart the rules and the laws that enact impression or oppression and segregation and brokenness against all things. I want you to even think through that holy scary moment of when there has been abuse even in a marriage and what was made to be a good thing but has been turned evil and wicked is crumbling and therefore is rightly undone when the wedding ring comes off and an abused spouse is made free. The boot of the tramping warrior, the garment rolled in blood, burned in the fire. Such that our call is also to then undo these tools of abuse. To find ways to dismantle the things which would hold others down and work against God's creation for them. To name abuse. To speak out against it. Whether it's as something as common as physical abuse in a marriage or as widespread as abuse of one culture against another, or as wholeheartedly, just unmistakably broken as war when people are being crushed and systematically eliminated. Name the abuse, speak out against it, and then even pursue the healing that goes with it. Finally, in verses six through seven, after he undoes the systems of abuse, look at what he instates because again consider the the situation of Israel at the time or I'm sorry of Judah at the time what would they want what kind of king what kind of savior would they want they're going to want one who is going to powerfully build the army they're going to want one who is going to push back all of the oppressors in fact they're going to want one who is then going to overcome all of them and conquer all of their lands and to take all of their wealth to give back what was taken from, and there's a right place for justice, but then I want you to think at the, how strange these words would have sounded, because is this the king that people would have been asking for? The light that's at the end of the tunnel? It might not be the same color that they're hoping it would be. For to us, a child is born. Wait a second. I don't want a child. I want a full-grown king, maybe with some gray hair. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Oh, good news. Excellent. And his name shall be called. And then look at these titles, brothers and sisters. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. That sounds good. Everlasting Father. Okay. Prince of Peace. All right. And the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with righteousness and with justice from this time forth and forevermore. There, there are these things all bound up within it, but it's a confusing picture. It's not the end of the tunnel that they were expecting. It's like getting on to 895 and then suddenly, oh, here I am in Wisconsin? That's not the way, that's not what I was expecting. But I want you to see, it might not be what the people were expecting. And honestly, if we're honest, sometimes the light and the life of Jesus Christ might not be what we're expecting or necessarily even what we want. And yet nonetheless, it is what God gives us. And it is a counselor. It is the best father. It is the prince of peace, not of war, It's a vision of peace that has no end and that stretches into eternity. It is a peace that is not established just through anger and bitterness and physical domination. It is a peace that is upheld with justice and with righteousness. The author of the epic work, A Wrinkle in Time, and its continuing series, Madeleine L'Angle, her granddaughter, who has edited a great deal of her work, describes her this way. She says that she would get very annoyed when anyone would talk about the power of love. Love, she insisted, is not power, which she considered always coercive. Love is to be vulnerable. And it is only in vulnerability and risk that we overcome darkness. All of these things, all of these titles, are here upheld with justice and with with righteousness. And these are not weak or idealistic words. This is the only way forward. And this is what Jesus Christ himself brings with us. Justice, because he doesn't shy away from the consequences of all evil. Rather, he puts himself right in the crosshairs and takes it. So where is God? As has commonly been said in a beautifully, I don't know the original source, but when you look at the death and the brokenness and the sorrow of things that have happened and of the children that have died or been killed, where is God in the midst of it? Well, He's the same God who's there mourning when He has sent His Son to be killed and to die on the cross itself so that justice might be accomplished. And where is God? Well, He is there welcoming home all those of us who should rightly be on those crosses ourselves but so that we might be brought back into his presence and so that he might bring a whole host of people so that he might preserve a remnant from the darkness so that we ourselves might be made new and so that we might be brought into his kingdom and so brothers and sisters he instates his goodness and we can trust it such that we must live into we must live the future reality into our current situations so that we might continue to strike blows against the darkness And so that we might be inviting others into this future reality that then fuels our present moment of hope and even of peace amidst great darkness and great trouble. Finally, and we'll conclude with this, you look at that last verse, those last words. This is amazing to me that God includes lines like this in Scripture. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. This is not an inconvenience to him. This is not, well, I guess you've trusted God, so I'll overcome your you know, this or that. This is his zeal. This is, I don't know, what are you zealous for? This is his hobby. This is his his passion. This is the thought that when you know you're sitting bored at work and other things start to break into your mind and you're thinking about, oh well, when I get to this place, I'm gonna go do this hike. Like, this is what is always on his mind. This is what is all consuming him. This is what, when humankind rebelled against him, he said, no, 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 I'm not gonna let it end here. I will accomplish redemption. I will bring you back home to me. I will not let death be the final word. I will bring light into this darkness. And this is who Jesus is. This is the zeal of God which is being accomplished before us. And so when we look at the hopelessness, of the darkness all around us, and we are tempted to despair that it is too strong and overwhelming. Brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, God has provided us one whose light is so much greater than the darkness and who has absorbed it for us on your behalf and on mine. And so look to the light, set your hopes in him, because he can do it because in jesus christ he has come already and struck the death blow and one day one day one day he is coming again and we with the pastor of early rain church can say my captors will be captive themselves those who would try to bring a false justice on me will be brought into the right justice. And God's mercy may it extend even to them to bring them home along, along, because I know one whose light overcomes all darkness, and that is God's Son, Jesus Christ, who is broken for me. He breaks into darkness, he undoes the tools of abuse, and he instates his goodness even here. And now. And so we, you, me, we can hope truly and really in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, set our hearts on You. Refine us and grow us. Give us a clear vision so that we might fix our hearts on You above all other things, that we might not settle for any smaller gods, except the one who can bear the weight of our sin and who can promise us heaven and glory and life everlasting, deep and rich and overflowing in exchange, and leads us home again to you. Lord, we cannot do this on our own, and so we praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for how he is moving and growing within us. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and let us follow you home.